Thank you, Steph, for reading for us this morning, this evening rather. But before I continue on with the gospel reading, I just want to reiterate the importance of this uh, Christmas outreach that we're going to have. Uh, it's an outreach, by the way. It's not just meant for us as a church to come and celebrate Christmas. So it's an outreach for you to invite your friends, your family members who still do not know about Christ. It's a soft way of, uh, of letting them know the reason for the season that we celebrate Christmas is because of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So do invite your friends and do note that they also have to pay. It's only $5. The purpose for this is to, for us to keep track to know who is coming, who is not coming. All right? So church, please uh, do quickly, do sign up. We need to know the numbers. We need to know the people so as we can kind of prepare and cater for this event itself. All right? So with that, can I invite you to stand for the gospel reading for this evening. <clears throat> the gospel for this evening can be found in the gospel of St. Luke, chapter 23, beginning at the first verse, verse 1 to 3, and then verse 33 to verse 43. Glory to Christ our Savior. Luke's gospel, chapter 23, Verse 1 to verse 3. Then the whole company of them arose and brought before him before Pilate and began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offered him some sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I said to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Church, will you please be seated? <coughs> You know, the story was told of an Anglican clergyman who was posted to a new parish to be the new vicar. Now, because this posting that was done by the bishop was kind of uh, given to him very late in a week, and so because of the busyness of his packing and unpacking, it suddenly dawned upon him that it was already Saturday, you know, and he had not prepared for the Sunday sermon. Oh no, what was he to do? Well, he thought for a moment and then he came up with a very brilliant idea. 
So the next day during Sunday service, like the one that we're having now, you know, after the worship, after the reading of the word, you know, it was time for him to come up to preach the gospel. So he came up behind this pulpit like this, and then he looked at the congregation straight into the eyes, and then with a loud, booming voice, he asked this question. Church, do you know what I'm going to preach to you today? And the church members, being good Anglicans, they all replied in unison, no, pastor, we don't know. Preach to us. Tell us we want to hear the word of God. Please preach to us. And you know what the vicar said? He said this, well, since you all don't know what I'm going to preach, it means that you are not interested in the word, so I'm not going to preach to you today. And he sat down and the service continued on. Well, then weeks, week came by, and as he, you know, being the new vicar, he wanted to get to know the congregation, so he went around visiting, he got to know the culture of the church and so forth. And as he was busy doing all of this, guess what? It was Saturday. And guess what? He again forgot to prepare the sermon. Terrible vicar. And so what did he do? He thought to himself and said, well, I got away last week. Huh? Maybe I can get away again this week. And so same thing happened. During the church service, after the worship, after the praise and worship, after the reading of the word, he got up to the same pupil, the same booming loud voice. He looked at the congregation and he said, Church, do you know what I'm going to preach to you today? This time, the congregation very smart. What do you think they answered him? This time, they said to the vicar, Pastor, yes, we know what you're going to preach, so preach it to us. Tell us what you're going to preach today. Well, the pastor was a little bit stunned and then he looked and then he, for a moment, he composed himself and he said, hmm, okay. Well, since you all know what I'm going to preach to you today, then there's no need for me to preach to you. And he sat down and the service continued on. How about that? He got away two times. <laughs> well, the church didn't want this to happen for the third time, so what did the PCC did? Well, they called for an urgent meeting, you know, the wardens came, called, called, called the, the members to come in to talk about it, and then they thought about it and they said, no, we must ensure that the vicar preach this week. And so what they did, they came up with a good idea. And the plan was very simple. They said this, alright, when the vicar asked, do you know what I'm going to preach to you, this side of the congregation, because the church was like us, you know, in the middle, there's a that's the R, you know. And so they say, this side of the congregation, you are to reply, no, pastor, we don't know what you're going to preach. But this side was to reply, yes, pastor, you, we know what you're going to preach. So, no way out, right? The, the vicar sure have to preach. Okay, so this is a fantastic, foolproof idea. It will work. Well, the third week came, same thing happened at the end of the service. Uh, sorry, at the end of the worship, at the end of the reading, as the vicar came up to the pulpit to, sh to share the word, for the third time, he asked the same question. Church, do you know what I'm going to preach to you? As it was on cue, the side of the congregation said what? You don't know. This side said what? Yes, we know. Wow. If you're the vicar, what would you do? He hasn't prepared his sermon, you know. Well, he was dumbfolded. He was shocked. He was stunned. This congregation very smart, huh? very good. Huh? Then, as he composed himself, as he looked at both sides, he said this. Well, since this side don't know what I'm going to preach, this side know what I'm going to preach, 
this side preach to the side that doesn't know what to preach. And then he sat down, and the service continued on for the third week. Why am I telling you this story? Well, in case you missed the point, I share this illustration simply to inform us that according to the lectionary reading for today, this weekend, this Sunday is called Christ the King Sunday. It is called Christ the King Sunday simply to remind us as a church that we are to proclaim boldly and unashamedly to the whole world who this King that we worship really is. You see, after six long months of the season of Pentecost, this weekend ushers in the coming season of Advent. And as all good Anglicans, we know that Advent begins next week. And Advent, in case you don't know, also happens to be the start of the new calendar year. It is a reminder for us of the coming Christmas spirit, that it is a time for you and I to prepare and look forward to Christ's return as the reigning King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let me ask you this question with a loud, booming voice. Do you know what I'm going to preach to you today? Let us pray. Father, we ask of you this evening that as we come into your presence, you speak to us with your word. We pray, Lord, that you give us attentive ears, receptive minds, and obedient hearts to prepare for your coming, to declare who you are as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. <laughs> so are we prepared to meet the King of kings? Do we as his disciples firstly recognize and secondly declare openly and boldly and unashamedly that Jesus is the King of our lives? You see, in Luke 23 verse 3, in our gospel reading that I read just a while ago, Pilate asked Jesus this question, Are you the King? And perhaps this is a personal question for you and I, that as His disciples, we must not take lightly or even discard this question when someone were to ask you, do you know the King? Is Jesus the King of your lives? What will be our answer? Now, understandably, the idea of a monarch is a concept that is perhaps very foreign to all of us. Since we are all Singaporeans, we are grown up in a republic or democratic society. We don't know much about kings nor have any experience of them unless, of course, we live in the medieval period or maybe reside in nations like the United Kingdom and Thailand where kingship is very common. To us, kings are what we watch in the movies as in fairy tales or stories of long ago. But truth of the matter is this. You see, many Christians, they may readily accept Jesus as their Savior, but they are not ready to accept Jesus as their King. After all, if you think about this, it's easy to accept a hero, isn't it? But to accept a King, well, that's perhaps a little bit too much to ask, isn't it? To a hero, we can just say, thank you for saving me, and then we continue to be on our way. But to a King... This requires what? Total commitment. It requires total obedience. So yes, we may find that as disciples, there may be some who may be willing to accept the faith, being a disciple of Christ, but 
Yet, we find that Christ is remained far away from the center of the faith. But church, listen and don't miss this. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that for us to be His disciple, it means not only accepting Jesus as our Savior, but it also means accepting Him as King of our lives, as you can see up in the slide. It is not only allowing Him resident in our lives, but also making Him the president in our lives as well. Meaning to say, He is in control of your lives. You are not in control. So once again, is Jesus the King in your life? If not, let me throw you some truth based on our readings to challenge you. If you have not done so, you have not made Jesus as the King of your life, perhaps these words from Scriptures today will challenge us to one to do so. And so we continue with Luke's Gospel, and we discovered first of all, that we can make Jesus as King of our life. Why? Because Scriptures tells us that Christ, the King, is merciful. You see, there's a big difference between the way rulers of the world and the way of the King of Kings. And you can contrast this in the event regarding Jesus' death in Luke 23. In Luke 23, verses 35 to verse 36, we read here that when Jesus was mocked by the rulers, for his apparent lack of power as king, what did they say to him? They ridiculed him. They say, ye save others, but he can't save himself. Then when they further humiliated him by stripping him of his clothes and offering vinegar, Jesus was further mocked by these words. They said to him, if you are king, then save yourselves. So we see that while the people were merciless, Christ the king is merciful. And how was he merciful? He was merciful by demonstrating kindness that despite of all the taunts, the insults, and the jeers, he forgave the crowd. How many of us can do that? I think many of us, when we are faced with such a situation, when people ridicule us, when people <coughs> tend to insult us, we tend to want to go tit for tat, isn't it? But we look here that Christ the King is merciful. That, be, that, that despite of all that was thrown at him, the insult, he still forgave the crowd and he even showed mercy to a condemned and repented thief. As I say, he could have, like us, he could have heard insults and curses back at them. Better still, he could call down the host of heavens to slay all of them. But he didn't. Jesus Christ, the King, as a merciful king, didn't do this. In fact, look at verse 34. His reply was this. To the crowd, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then in verse 43, he even told the repentant thief these words, Today you will be with me in paradise. Christ the King is merciful. And today we find that Jesus as King is still merciful to you and I. He is still willing to forgive. He is still willing to care. He is still willing to love each one of us despite of our weaknesses. You see, Jesus as King is merciful to us 
at times when we choose to reject or even disobey Him. There were times when God challenged us, don't do this. There may be times when God challenged us, do this, serve as a ministry, and we struggle. We say, no, we don't. God could have easily strike us down. God could have easily punished us. But yet we know that Christ the King is merciful. He chose to forgive us and give us the opportunity to change and repent time and time again. Why? Because of His forgiving nature. Because Christ the King is merciful. We move now into the Colossian text and we find more reason why we should accept Jesus as King of our lives. And as we look in this Colossian text, we find that the Apostle Paul reveals to us further proof about this King that we serve. We read in verse 13 and 14 of Colossians that Paul declared that Christ the King is our Saviour and that's why we need to accept Him as our King. What is man's greatest need? What is your greatest need? Someone once said this, that if man's greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If man's greatest need had been technology, God would have sent an engineer. If man's greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would send us an entertainer. But what is our greatest need? Man's greatest need was forgiveness. And that is why God sent us a Savior. A Savior to save us from our sins. A Savior to save us from eternal life, from eternal death rather, and to enter into eternal life. Man's greatest problem is indeed sin. A problem that cannot be solved by a philosopher a problem that cannot be solved by a religious leaders. Sinners need a saviour. And Paul further goes on to great length in his letter to remind us of this problem and what Jesus did to rectify this need. He says in verse 13 that Jesus rectified this problem of our sin, how he saved us by delivering us from the domain of darkness and then transferring us into his kingdom from darkness into light. In verse 14, He redeemed us and forgave us of our sins. And because of this, you and I, we are heirs of God and have an inheritance in His kingdom. Why? Simply because Christ the King bore our sins and paved the way for us to eternal life. Christ the King is our Saviour. And thirdly, as we continue on in Paul's letter in verses 15 to 20, why we should accept, Paul tells us, why we should accept Jesus as king over our life is simply because Christ the king is all-powerful. Verse 15 reads that he is the firstborn of all creation. Before you and I are born, before the world was existed, he was already there. This tells us that Jesus existed before creation. He existed before time. Jesus as king is all-powerful because again, Paul says in verses, verse 16, that for by him all things were created. So he was there before time and he was there at creation. He was the one who created all things. And Jesus as king is all-powerful because Paul, 
finally tells us in verse 18 that He is the firstborn from the dead, showing that He has the power of resurrection. None of us, when we die, can we ever raise ourselves up. We have no power to do this. It's only Christ the King who is powerful, who is able to raise us from the dead and to give us that resurrection. So Christ the King, He's merciful. Christ the King is our Savior. Christ the King is all-powerful. And today is all about the King that you and I serve. So as we approach this season of Advent next week, what then can you and I do to prepare for this season? What can we do to welcome the King of Kings? How can we show the world that Jesus is indeed King of our lives? As I close, allow me to suggest the following ways as application. <laughs> May I challenge you that maybe over the next three weeks of Advent, would you reflect just on one truth per week about our King? And so I really shared with you that Christ the King is merciful, He's our Saviour, He's all-powerful. What does this mean for you and I? Let these facts sink deep into our hearts. And as this truth sinks deep into our hearts, let us therefore then be grateful and give thanks, knowing that we have this King who is merciful, we have this King who is our Saviour, we have this King who is all-powerful, who is able to conquer any sin, who is able to conquer any, any, any setbacks that we face in our lives. And as you let it sink deep into our hearts, we should really, in the end, exclaim it with a joy of thanksgiving and gratefulness. So that's the first thing we can do. Reflect on one truth per week about this King. Secondly, what we can also do as we prepare for this coming King of Kings, would you reflect on this sentence? <clears throat> what it means to say that Jesus is King. You know, we can know that Jesus is king, but yet are we aware that he was born in a stable? Most kings, in fact, all kings are born in a palace, but this king was born in a stable. Jesus is king, but yet he knelt at the feet of his followers and washed their feet. Kings have people to wash their feet, but Jesus as king did the opposite. Jesus as king had the bowl and the towel as a symbol, unlike worldly kings who hold a scepter and a crown. Jesus is king, but he had no palace, no servants, no fine things. Jesus as king, he died on the cross. So it is about remembering how the king who died for your sins and rose again to give us eternal life. And really, that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? That without the birth of Jesus, there will be no Savior. Without the birth of Jesus, you and I would not have a Savior. So, would we take this opportunity in the season of Advent to reflect on this true meaning that Jesus is King? And thirdly, the third application for us 
that as we enter into the season of Advent and welcome the King of Kings, what we can do or what we should be doing is to remove all that are unsightly for a coming King. What do you do when someone important comes to visit you? I think automatically what we will do is we want to spring clean our house, isn't it? We want to remove all the dirt, the dust, to ensure that the house is spick and span. That's what we want to do. We don't want an important person to come into our house to see that the house is in a mess, things are not being tidy up, and so forth. And so similarly, we prepare for the coming King of Kings by ensuring that our spiritual house, our lives, is made clean, that our lives are in tip-top shape. And so we need, therefore, to remove sins. Sins like addiction, smoking, drinking, gambling, you know, pornography or, or, or whatever that is causing you to sin, having you the last and sinful living. All these things must be swept away clean from our house. And that's how we prepare for the coming King of Kings. And we are able to remove all this sin. Why? Again, because we are reminded Christ the King is merciful. He's forgiving. He's all-powerful. To do, to enable us to do all these things. So this is how we prepare them for the coming King of Kings. In conclusion then, Christ the King loves, He cares for each and every one of us. He frees you and I from the oppression and takes away the heavy burdens. Instead of maintaining the distance from you and I, Jesus chose to become one of us. He experienced our pain and He even died on the cross for our sins. So Christ, because of this, of what He has done, He's qualified to be your King to be my king because he knows us intimately and cares for us like a king in a nation who, who looks after his citizen Christ the king looks and cares for us so once again as I end is Christ your king if not would you make him your king today and if you have already made him your king then would you prepare for his arrival. Let us pray. <coughs> Father, this evening as we come before you, we acknowledge that sometimes it is more appealing to follow a triumphant king than to obey the commands of a dying saviour. We acknowledge that sometimes we are more interested in worldly pleasures than we are in committing to the disciplines of Christian living. Lord, forgive us of our weakness, of our will and our shallowness, of our commitment. And this Advent, as we prepare for this new season, we ask of you, Lord, that you help us to resolve to keep ourselves, to commit ourselves, to live as loyal subjects to you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings, King of our lives. So, Father, help us as we begin this new season that you enable us to live a life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.